Welcome, movie fans, as we dissect Captain Underpants, the first epic movie here on the first epic movie review show. That's right, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we have... Our usual crew, the usual suspects, Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And Dimitri Panos. Hello, movie fans. What's up? And we're all in our underpants, though you cannot see it. Nope. Uh, We're talking about Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. Um, And uh, a couple of things right off the bat. Number one, our show tends to be very spoiler-filled. So, uh, well, by definition, it is spoiler-filled. So if you don't want the movie spoiled, uh, tune out. Also, uh, in the description box, feel free to, uh, there's a link in there where you can download the rundown and our pictures, so feel free to click in there, especially if you're listening on audio, that way you get the visual component of the show. Um, But without further ado, let's, as we always do, start with overall impressions, and uh, we'll talk about a lot of potty humor today. (laughs) Marissa Serafini, get the potty humor going. Well, you know, I actually knew about the Captain Underpants comic books, or whatever graphic books, um, from my nephews. It it is that demographic. Um, I I heard about it, like, years ago. Well, one is 17 right now. (laughs) One is 17. And one is 10. So, which is, so, like, I've heard of these books from my nephews, and uh, then now knowing that the movie came out of it, I was like, oh, great. Now it's it's really a big thing. Um, So I didn't really know what to expect watching this film and like going into it I found there was a lot of adult humor that I thought was pleasantly surprising you know to and kind of refreshing especially because this movie is definitely geared towards the male boy demographic but the, I had a lot of laughs in it and it was fun it was simple it was just another good solid uh, animation film Dimitri yeah it's a tra la la <laughs> Captain Underpants for me is perhaps the silliest movie you'll see this summer um, and that's not a bad thing, considering all that's going on. Um, I think it, it, it's filled with body humor, but to me it was never gratuitous and or exploitive, but actually part of the story in the form of pranks, like kid pranks. Um, we were talking, there's been a recent spate of animated movies where potty humor or fart gag is used as a cheap laugh. We just talked about it, Secret Life of Pets. It's like, they do, you know... You'll see it in a lot of kid trailers, too. Um, I felt that here the laughs in Captain Underpants were earned, and that's what's important here. The two main characters in the movie are good kids, and I do stress kids. They love comic books, science fiction, art, storytelling, everything that utilizes imagination. Uh, and, And a good gross prank. You're lying to yourself... If you say, as a kid, you never pointed and laughed at something that was, oh, gross. Like, I don't care if you're male or female. There was something, yeah, that's gross. Like, and that's what this movie is. Captain Underpants revels in that age and never cheats its characters. This isn't a superhero movie, per se. Um, It's a story of friendship. And take that to their best friends. Captain Underpants, the character to me, is sort of kind of a MacGuffin. The main story is about how maintaining friendship, even through the world around them, is trying to keep these friends apart. In the end, the kid's mature enough to realize you throw some respect to the authoritative figure, and hey, you might get what you want. Not such a bad movie, and it 
not, not such a bad, I'm sorry, message in a kid's movie. And, you know, it, it animation is decent enough. It kind of reminded me of the Peanuts movie. And then it utilized various forms of, of animation, including sock puppets. Actual sock puppets. The movie is short and well-paced. Captain Underpants isn't veiled as an adult movie in an animated format. It is a clever animated movie for kids that can appeal to the inner 12-year-old of an adult. And if you don't laugh, well, you're just Captain Poopy Pants. <laughs> well, look at that. Uh, yeah, I, I had a blast with this. Um, I have I remember Captain Underpants. Um, obviously, it came out at, at around the time that I was a kid. Uh, I don't remember reading them, but I remember just seeing them. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the premise hooks you. Oh, a superhero with... He's got underpants, and what's he do? Well, he's got underpants. Okay, um, and that, that's his that's his main claim to fame. And uh, I, I enjoyed this a lot. I thought it was funny. Um, and you know what? It's uh, sometimes just good to laugh at potty humor. Uh, I, I can't stress enough. And um, you know, I, I wish I don't know. Uh, for for me, it was someone. I was the only person there that didn't have a kid. Me too. Piloting uh, <laughs> with me. me. <laughs> So it felt a little strange, uh, but nonetheless, you know, I, I was able to find my own place and uh, be able to enjoy the movie and laugh at the movie and, and feel good um, about myself and not not be sort of hindered by that fact. Um, Ten a.m. on a Saturday, apparently, everybody goes. I wanted I wanted to ask you about that because I went on a Wednesday afternoon and I was. Very not. I'm not going to say pleasantly surprised. I was extremely surprised that the theater was as packed as it was. So I guess a lot of schools are out already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and the theater that I go to, uh, the Cinemark Baldwin Hills, a lot on Wednesday. It's their six dollar day. This theater, like I, totally felt like these parents are going to be looking at me like, what is this adult so your kids by himself? The, you're, you're, <laughs> My kids are way in the back. They're, yeah, they're in the bathroom or something. <laughs> they're, they're way in the back, but I had the same sense. But watching it, though, with, and again, a lot of the kids were, were male. They're about 8, 9, 10 years old, 12 years old. They were laughing hysterically. Hysterically, which actually may have helped in my enjoyment of of what this movie was accomplishing. What about you when you saw it? Like I saw it on a, on a Wednesday at nighttime, and then oh, at night? quickly real remembered that this is a kids' film. <laughs> there was a bunch of kids. There was like kids on both sides of me, and I'm like, oh great. Um, but they laughed a lot, yeah. and I mean, so did I at the adult joke, jokes and references that the kids are. They obviously went over the kids' head. But um, it, it was good, nice size crowd. I want to I want to ask you this, Marissa. And it sort of leads into the development of it. But um, you know, with your nephews, you said you knew the books, but to what extent? Because I'm curious. Well, I remember uh, them reading them, and they were telling me a little bit about this. There's, you specifically yeah, read them, or they? I read them? I did not read them. My nephews read them, and because they are different ages, like my oldest nephew read the earlier books that were published right. in the like late '90s, early 2000s, and then my second nephew read the most recent books. So I got like the two generations of of books, but I personally didn't uh, read them. But I knew what Captain Underpants was about, you knew. and and the character in and of itself. I just remember thinking. That's ridiculous, um, but that appeals to the young teen, teenage preteen boys. Sure. Um, so I, I can definitely see why there was already a set audience 
and following for this movie to make it successful. I've got to be the old fart of the panel. I had no idea that until I started researching. I had no idea that Captain Underpants was was based off of a book. But by the time it came out in 1997... No, yeah. I yeah, I I'd gone beyond like I would have found Captain Underpants to be hysterical. You, you know, I found it to be funny at the age that I am now. But as a ten-year-old kid, I would have I would have loved it. You know, especially I, and I and again knowing these two friends, I mean, this is what the movie did for me. Um, these two friends, like it wasn't unlike when I was that age with my friends doing that. Wanting to play pranks, reading comic books and such. So um, I, I sort of kind of found it refreshing, and I really enjoyed the aspect that they focused on friendship. Again, going into the movie without knowing ahead mm-hmm. of time what it was, I really thought this was going to be a quote-unquote superhero movie. Mm-hmm. The whole friendship aspect, I had no idea. So to me, I found that to be refreshing. And like I said, Captain Underpants is just... It's not a superhero movie. It's a good friendship movie. No. Right. I don't know if the books are that way. Ne- like, neither do I, because yeah. I haven't read them. But um, the, what I, I enjoyed about it is that because they we are following two kids at that young age, we're like playing in a treehouse is cool. You yes. know, um, being split up in in school that's like the end of the world you know <laughs> so like when you watch it as an adult you're thinking oh that's not the biggest problem but at that young age of like 10 years old that is all it is. that is the biggest worry in your life yeah. and like so you had to like remember that aspect like this is a big deal for these kids yeah. right and now. it was so funny too because when they went home that they're they live right next door to each other yeah. they're like we're never gonna see each other again <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. I, I think it's a uh, it's a trope we've seen before. Um, for example, like the Sandlot, where they make the 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 myth of the dog, the beast, right. and yeah. so forth. And so, um, yeah, it, it goes very much in that same way. And it's um, I applaud them for being able to pull it off um, in the way that they did. And you know, we'll talk about how they were able to do certain parts of it in animation because that played into it as well uh, with playing to everything. Um, speaking of the book, so uh, written by Dave. Pilkey. Um, it's a 12-book series dating back to 1997, translated into 20 languages, and has sold over 80 million copies worldwide. Um, which, his name in the thing, um, I did a little bit of research on it. Um, I'm still co- uh, not fully um, clear as to how it fo- like kind of came about, but his real name is Dave, and he has an E at the end of it, but for some reason when he entered a competition for the book... Um, they dropped the E, they, they forgot the E, and so he's kept it ever since. Interesting. So, a yeah, little, little tidbit there. I mean, and it kind of works if it's, like, for a comic book type of story. Absolutely. Like, it, it works with an author's name. Yeah. Um, and interesting, though, I mean, you know, in terms of, uh, this would have been a movie right up my alley as a kid, um, and the reason I say that is DreamWorks was interested in the movie rights dating back to the, the time of first inception for the book but however uh pilkey didn't want to sell it um whatsoever and so it went through um various iterations but finally in 2011 he was ready to sell and um dreamworks animation won the rights in an auction so um quite a long time you know between i mean it's 20 years this is years. the 20th anniversary of Captain mm-hmm. Underpants 20 years I, I wonder what made him come around to like actually finally 
give the rights in to to auction. You know, maybe it's because like around 2011 is when like franchises were starting, where like the only things that are happening now. It seems like that is nowadays that all the movies we see are sequels and now franchises. That maybe he saw that franchising his story and his his books could actually be successful. Yeah, I think it could be a couple of reasons. Um, one of them being he may not have felt comfortable letting somebody else take creative right. liberties with his product. You know, I mean, he's so close to it. Um, and so you know, he probably felt it was the right time. And you know, since it was up for auction, uh, you know, money, um, you know, I hate to be cynical, but I'm sure that had a little bit to play in it. But I don't I think, think it has to be cynical. It's just <clears throat> the reality. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I think that, you know, from a creative standpoint, sometimes, look, it took forever for Peanuts yeah. to make their first original big screen movie. Um, they had done some other ones, but they're mostly based on TV. But it took a long time for that Peanuts movie to gestate and get up on the big screen. And, and a lot, and part of it, it's it's from a creative standpoint, you want to make sure that you do it right. You don't want a disservice. Um, now, and 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 I think that this movie took a lot of its cues from that Peanuts movie from a few years ago. Um, in just the way that they animated it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it could have been, you know, I mean, I don't know the gentleman personally, but glad that he did. It's, you know, and to your point, it does speak to the, the 12-year-old kid, mm-hmm. you know, and it does it in a, in a very respectful manner. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And, you know, um, to that same point, ironically, um, believe it or not, he was actually very hands-off with the director um, in, in terms of making this movie, um, which was actually a breath of fresh air, you know. Because I think part of the reason he was uh, was because um, David Soren very much understand understood what he was going for. Um, and in fact, he cited various uh, movies of the same spirit. Um, Marissa will enjoy this. Uh, Little Rascals was Little one Rascals. of the movies that he was inspired by. And so sure. um, there's that sort of whimsical take on it and so I, I think he felt that the movie was in good hands overall yeah yeah and the you know the the author the uh, Pilkey he did have like a, a couple of creative sessions at the beginning of the the film but once like production really got going it was really David Soren who took over yeah yeah and it's interesting too um you know he only came around the studio a couple of times I recall producer Mariel Soria and she was saying, you know, he has a very interesting perspective. He doesn't really like movies that are exact interpretation of books, word by word, and don't bring anything new to the mix. And he had a really good connection with Soren, with David Soren, and they both see the world in the same way. So, again, I think that sort of kind of goes back to what maybe a theory is he just didn't think anybody might do it right, or maybe they'd be too literal. Um, yeah. So he allowed those creative... Freedom. Juices the flow, and and again when he when he bonds with the director, um, Soren himself says that he and Pilkey connected quite quickly because they say they had the same artistic influences in life. When they were young, they were they both taught themselves to draw by studying the works of Charles M. Schultz, Peanuts. Yeah, <laughs> so it makes sense <laughs> now talking about this movie. We both love the Rascals and. I think once you have that, once you find somebody creatively like that to infuse that into the movie, 
He's like, okay, you guys win. You guys win. You know, mm-hmm. you guys get the bid. Yeah. You know, and um, there's I, I forgot which um, which outlet. I think Hollywood Reporter, but they talked about the difference where too many movies are trying to make um, two simultaneous movies, one for kids and then uh, a separate level of intellect for for adults. Um, this movie, they argue, makes one movie for both audiences, and both audiences are laughing at the same same joke on the same wavelength. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that. I think, you, you know, we, we've been sort of hinting at it, the fact that it it has a lot of great humor, but at the same time, the, the, the central message, the central theme is one that um, you can walk away with both as an adult and especially as a kid. That's um, That's good. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so I appreciated that. Um, there were moments where the adults were laughing a lot louder and harder than the kids were. Um, I felt, uh, I felt that too. I think there it was the parents. the reveal of Poopy Pants' like full name. Like, yeah. the, the adults were roaring. I kid you not. Yeah, it, it, that was funny. And again, it wasn't it wasn't done gratuitously. It wasn't done just for the gag. I mean, that's just a funny name. Yeah, and and it's something that even the kids made fun of and. And again, it's 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 not like it was just all potty humor. I think because you like the kids a lot, and the kids are innocent enough, and they're not bad kids. Like I don't see that they were neglected by parents. I don't see that they were horrible students. Right. You know, they were good kids. They would just happen to be good friends, and they loved the good prank. Right. And that's where I I can definitely see the the references to you know Charlie <clears throat> Brown and all the the penises because you always saw the adults you know with that wah wah. Right, you know, right, trumpets right, right, and, and right. the trombone. But it's like the adults were present, but they're not the biggest characters. Sure. But the, all these kids, you definitely got that sense of you know camaraderie and friendship with all these kids. And every once in a while, you see the adults. Sometimes the adult is like the worst person in the world, especially sure. how they made uh, you know crap. Crap. Cru- yeah. Um, you know, like it, their view towards adults sometimes is good, sometimes it's bad. Right. And I think that you saw that a lot in the peanuts. You know, stories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, Nicholas Stoller, who uh, who wrote it, um, he's in movies such as Forgetting Sarah Marshall, um, and he he also wrote and directed the sequel, Get Him to the Greek. Um, he wrote the Muppets movie and Neighbors, so uh, he's he's sort of in that. that uh, obviously, he writes for comedy. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, so he's well-versed in that. And especially those movies, like um, they're more, obviously, adult humor, but nonetheless, same genre if you yeah. will of, of humor <clears throat> you know yeah. there's definitely like situational humor absolutely um, because forgetting Sarah Marshall and and get him to very raunchy humor sure as well but see raunch to me really works when you have characters that you care about I mean that that's why I think forgetting Sarah Marshall is a really good romantic comedy you care about that stuff and whatever rise they get embroiled in ends up being funny but you still care for the characters because they're good people um, I've always said this too about the American Pie movies the re- or, or even Porky's for that matter too the reason why the humor to me I, I argue is not gratuitous or overly exploitive is because you care for these characters you care for the kids they're in, they're, in lovable. they're lovable. They're good kids. They just happen to get stuck in these raunchy things. And this movie is really no different. You, um, you know, we like these kids, and they play p- pranks. And as ten-year-old kids, yeah, to put their hand under their armpit and try to crank out a few farts, 
that's funny to me because I that that's just funny. I know I did that as a kid and playing pranks with my friends and jokes. That's what we did. Yeah, yeah. So, never meant to harm anybody. Whoopee cushions. Uh, hopefully not. Oh, whoopee cushions. The, 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 like, the, like, the, best the adults were laughing at that. My goodness. That's a very funny scene. <laughs> Um, so let's, let's talk story elements, right? So um, in, in terms of uh, George and Harold, uh, we get introduced to them as our central characters, and they're in the they're in the uh, the comics as well. Um, so they're not out of nowhere, uh, particularly because obviously uh, they later on they talk about having to do the hair for Harold. But um, you know, uh, if you guys had to. I, I, I like how you guys summarized it at the top where their journey is from this innocence to more adulthood. They're not adults, certainly, but they're more respecting of um, of the various things um, that, that adults represent and understand that that uh, while the adults were wrong, it's not like you know they just came to realize, oh, we've been wrong at the same time. They, they were able to... Um, change their environment, but at the same time respect it, and sure. that's what I appreciate most about um, their various friendship. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the friendship and not really knowing the the characters. Like, I liked how they had that establishing. Like, they met when they were in first grade, and they're in like fourth grade now, uh, or whatever age that they are. Um, that fro was hysterical. Uh, but you know, watching these these two kids, you can definitely understand like they balance each other out. One's the the story border, but right. one's the actual drawing artists and one makes up the story so they definitely were a tag team duo and um but also like you you were saying phil with their humor their humor did kind of mature a little bit and even their characters had some growth because at the beginning it was just like pranks and then throughout the middle it was like pranks to do something right and then at the end um it was like actually pranks for good right um with you know setting up krupp and edith together so like they used their humor in a good way. Sure. Um, so that for, like, therefore it showed that their awareness of what they've been doing was like, let's actually do put a positive spin on it. Not just to be ridiculous and have fun, but to actually do something good out of it. Yeah, it was very altruistic. And, um, you know, the way that they met was Uranus. Teacher <laughs> yeah. was writing Uranus on a t- And, like, again, I go back, big Star Trek fan. So as a kid, one of the biggest. One of the biggest potty jokes that revolved around Star Trek was, like, how is toilet paper related to Star Trek? Well, it goes around Uranus to wipe out the Klingons. That, to me, as a 10-year-old, was, like, the funniest thing. It's like, Uranus! I get it! So, that the mere fact that these two friends bond over that, and then they become friends, and then I like their artistic ability. One was the drawer. The other mm-hmm. one's like, I come up with the stories, draw this, and then they do the... That I loved, because... Again, when you look a lot of cartoons or animated movies, when you see the characters, this is a movie that's based off of friendship, that is based off of that humor, but it is based off of imagination and creativity, you know? And so there's a smart in that that I really like that that movie showcased. And what I enjoyed was uh, they, they used the various tropes throughout, right? So speaking of Uranus, not, not, not only did it serve as a fun Backstory, but later on, it's the thing that allows them to keep their humor mm-hmm. um, in a time of peril, and it's right. it's the thing that triggers their lafalophium tube to to <laughs> grow back, whatever it's called, uh, and, and and also you know to your guys you guys the, the distinction between the artist and and the storyteller 
Well, what's fun is to also see them, like, they, they try to enter each other's worlds a little bit. Uh, most notably, Harold, he keeps trying to come up with ideas, and it's like, why are they robots? Oh, why are they dolphins? And so, whenever, it's just that idea that he, yeah, I'm the drawer, I can't tell a story. Well, why are you telling a story? Um, that became so funny, um, and just became a, a motif throughout, um, and got funnier as, as it went along, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah, no. and 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 to Marissa's point too, the 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 getting together of Krupp and the lunch lady, you know, it's it's like that realization. Oh my God, he's like he's alone. He doesn't have, of course, like when they go into his house. I, I love that that scene because they're like, oh, whoa, look at the house. And then when they start looking around, they're like. We have to leave. I'm very depressed. I'm very sad. Right. And they say, he's alone. The worst recon. Right. <laughs> That's the worst recon ever. And then he's like, if he just had somebody in his life that but was his best yeah, friend, he maybe he'll be, be so nicer. And I, and I like the distinction of, he. no, he like-likes her. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um. That leads to marriage. <laughs> Um, I did like when they were in the house where, like, they rolled into the bed and then you see the outline of Trump oh. <laughs> just in the bed, like, the single person right. alone in a bed. That was sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have a couple of great uh, side-by-side comparisons. So Kevin Hart, who plays George, um, when he talked about it, he said, I really want to do this movie because Captain Underpants is such a great franchise and it's also something my kids could really identify with. Both my son and daughter thought that I was the coolest person in the world for doing it. And Hart believes that one of the most powerful aspects of the movie is the way that it celebrates creativity. Um, we've kind of made mention of this, but from his own, uh, by his own words, he says, kids love to put their imagination to use and be creative. George and Harold are two kids that, that love to draw and tell stories. Their stories become reality in their world. I love that the the movie doesn't frown upon their creativity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie is definitely open to the kids' imaginations, and we saw all the different types of animations going off of their crazy imaginations, especially with the the flipperama, which we'll definitely get to. But like the different types of story uh, lines and the the different ways that they showed it shows just like how crazy someone's imagination can get. I feel like another movie that we covered, Boss Baby, we, we that goes heavily into someone's imagination. And I think this movie also did a, a good job of doing the same thing. And where I think this movie dif- is different, too, is that they could have gone straight CG. But then what makes this unique? You know, what makes... Because, again, we were talking like movies like Secret Life of Pets or Boss Baby. Or, they all have a very, very similar look uh, and feel to it. And unless you're Pixar and you're gonna and you're gonna draw like fifteen hundred leaves on a tree, right? Because they can. Because <laughs> they can. You know, we talked about peanuts, and what made it refreshing was that they used the various they used hand drawn animation in this and this one is the same thing the filmmakers have included various types of animation even the sock puppet scene was hysterical I didn't see it coming they could have drawn sock puppets but they actually used sock puppets Um, and then of course uh, you know the George and Harold and the Mm flip-a-rama scene was a great way to tell that part of the story because it, it was going to be too too shocking and violent so we do <laughs> so we too graphic so we had to do flipperama and it was actually like like the 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 flip book method um you know and that's another thing too when you talk about creativity 
They really wanted to, it, I felt as if they just wanted to set themselves apart mm-hmm. um, from, from, from their most recent, you know, um, most recent batch of CG animated films, non-Pixar. Well, well certainly, uh, uh, I want, I'll put a pause on that only because um, there's definitely a lot of stuff that I want to talk about with that in particular, um, mm-hmm. but don't want to open it up just quite yet. Um, but I think Kevin Hart was okay in this film because we we talked about Secret Less of Pet where it was all Kevin Hart and just kind of ruined the movie because um, he wasn't even a main like he just stole the movie he was yeah. never in the trailers he was never supposed to be the main character and yes granted the, the the rabbit that he is in the movie it becomes the villain in a sense but yeah it was just too much yeah, yeah but like also his but his performance in this film and didn't realize it was Kevin Hart to the end of the film which is actually saying a good thing because it, it was, like he reined it in he reined in his own performance so people could enjoy it yeah he you actually know? sounded like a kid oh and i didn't know that really? he was a I voice so. but like I, I felt he sounded like his character and it, i didn't know going into the movie um really who was voicing it or whatever and um hearing his voice i was like oh he's actually good at this like this is this is his, this is a great character for him. Yeah, and we we talked about it with Secret Life of Pets, and I think we might have talked about other <clears throat> Kevin Hart movies. But um, you know, part of your job as a director is yes, you know, you, you know. Uh, unfortunately, we we, we don't necessarily. I and Marissa in particular don't necessarily love love Kevin Hart. Um, however, I think for the people that do like that doesn't mean he, he should have free creative range to just go off we, we talked a lot about this other movies as well uh, Seth Rogen like the role of a director is to also rein them in let mm-hmm. them do what they do let that genius be caught on camera fine but then in the edit process dwindle it to the most effective use of it yeah I call that the Jim Carrey effect I've always felt that way about Jim Carrey he, he never had he rarely, I should say, he rarely had a director that could say cut at the no. right time. They just had directors that was, oh, this is good stuff. Like, <laughs> just let them go on. And then it becomes too much. And, and that's agree. fine, but yeah. cut it down. Cut it down. You, you know, need, let him go on set. I don't care. That's the, you know. You, so. need, you need that creative, you need the director, the editor to say, this is where we cut. Well, well there's, there's a fine line of being, like, being talented and doing what you do best, but then also... Like being too much, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think Kevin Hart did a good job of not being too much in this film to the point where he did rein in his performance, where it was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, uh, this is this is something that we'll talk about later because it affects other things. But they were very specific with the script um, in terms of writing it; they wanted to lock it in. Whereas Pixar movies, they play around with the story and they'll tweak and they'll tinker right up until the movie has to go out. This, in terms of the script, they were like, "Okay, this is it." And you're not right rewriting this. So um, obviously that's a simple way to also rein in a lot of the action. So uh, uh, Harold, played by Thomas Middleditch um, of Silicon Valley fame, which, by the way, hosts the after show for that on uh, After Buzz TV. And we had Suzanne Cryer in this past week. So check that out. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, he's another comedic genius in my mind. Um, and, and you know, by being by having the script be tight, it allows these these guys to play within that world, but not go too far out of bounds. Right. Yeah, that's right. good to have maybe some limitations to <clears throat> mm-hmm. to the story. So and and, and and I know we usually talk about this more towards the end, but I'm going to bring it up now since we are talking about 
reining things in and how we are creatively and locking in a script. The budget to this movie was $38 million. Okay, a lot of especially the Disney animated movies. We're talking. Hold it, because it it lends a much much greater discussion. I'm sure that's where you're going, but uh, definitely say it. it, it, It's Pandora's box. Once we go there, we ain't coming back. Fair enough. Uh, but definitely a discussion we will have. So okay. a little tease for the people. <laughs> a little, little tease. No, um, that was a snap of our underoos. <laughs> Just for you. Um, Unlimited underoos. <laughs> That's what they but, okay, uh, even though he is... A, we, we, we've called him the MacGuffin, but um, let's talk about Ed Helms as, as Captain Underpants and uh, Mr. Krupp. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, unlike most MacGuffins, he's a living, breathing person and he happens to be two people right yeah and i thought ed helms did a great job because again i didn't realize it was him neither did i and knowing but like i also didn't realize that he played two different characters even though they were technically technically the same character but he did such a great job of distinguishing both these characters that i thought they were like completely different people um, and I, like, I, I really laughed at Underpants because he was like really fun to watch. The whole tralalas, if I had a penny for every time they said it, you know. <laughs> like, but it was still funny, and it, it went throughout the whole film. It's like that con, common thread. But also the on the flip side, someone who's so begrudgingly angry, they're right. like at everything and everybody in the world of Mr. Krupp. It, I felt like two completely different personalities, and I think that's just great acting from one person. I couldn't agree with you more. What? The other thing that was sort of refreshing about this movie is, okay, so Kevin Hart was pretty much indistinguishable once you hear his voice, right? Sometimes when you're watching an animated movie, or or maybe it's just me, and I don't know the talent involved, and I'm watching the movie and I hear the voice, I spend a chunk of the movie going... Who the hell is this voice? I know this voice. I know this voice. And I know I'm not really paying attention to the movie because I'm trying to figure out who the voice is. When it came to Krupp in Captain Underpants, I had no idea it was him. I, like you, thought it was two different people. And there was never a time where I was taken out of the movie going, who is this voice? Why does this sound familiar to me? It was, it was pure genius voice performance on his part. Where he did not sound like Ed Helms, like I right. like I was used to, and I never stopped going. God, this voice is so recognizable to me, and I was surprised to know that it was surprised to learn that it was one yeah. person doing two characters. Um, I forgot who pulled this quote. Maybe <clears throat> it might have been me. Maybe uh, maybe Dimitri. Maybe you, Marissa. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but nonetheless, the quote is from him. Uh, it was very important to find distinct voices for the two so that it was clear which character was on screen at any given time. Uh, because sometimes Principal Krupp is wearing uh, Captain Captain's underpants, and sometimes Captain Underpants is dressed like Krupp. Helm explains, um, but because they're both coming out of me, you, you also connect them as the same person. Principal, uh, Principal Krupp... Uh, was just a more angry and gravelly voice with lots of rage and frustration, while while the captain is just a broad and delight and is just broad and delighted with the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that, like in terms of that itself, right? Obviously, he's switching around, but a lot of my favorite moments were when it just became rapid fire. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with yeah. all the snapping, like, oh, we can change yeah. it back at the uh, yes. in an instant. Like, I thought that was really great because yes. it went from two voices back and forth all. How many times within a few seconds? And I thought that was good. Right. I wonder if they actually cut it, 
cut that together or if he actually was going back and forth in real time. Right. And and for for him, um, you know, for 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 Ed Helms, he and Kevin Hart came up in comedy together, mm-hmm. um, doing stand up comedy. So he welcomed the fact that he could work. You know, with with Kevin again, um, and 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 I, and he's also good friends with Thomas Middleditch and Nick Kroll. So making this movie for them, it, it felt like there was a homecoming, and you can feel the camaraderie and um, being able to snap off very quickly. There, there was a comfort, yeah. and without the familiarity of stopping an audience to to stop and go, oh, that's Ed Helms. Like mm-hmm. there was star power behind this movie. But it's not necessarily, but it doesn't detract you from watching this movie. You don't think through the whole movie, oh, it's Ed Helms. Oh, my God, that's so cool. It's Ed Helms. So I think that's a, I think that's a bright spot. And um, one of the things I want to talk with you guys is the, uh, the <clears throat> mechanics and perhaps physics of Captain Underpants. Because <laughs> yeah. um, what I enjoyed about this world, it, 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 it had its own reality. Yes. I'm not sure if I could explain it. Um, in, phys- in, a, in a class setting, what the physics were, but, but it existed and, and it worked overall. And by the end, it kind of goes completely out the window because now he is truly Captain Underpants. Right. Right. I mean, it, it was funny to watch, um, and I think that's also it is animation. You have to <laughs> suspend your disbelief a bit. But when we saw like the slow progression of like gaining powers of Captain Underpants. The longer right. he became himself, he, he he had more abilities that we could watch him do. Right. Especially, like, at the end. Suddenly, he could fly. I'm like, okay, Captain Underpants is flying. Right. Um, but but it, I'm always okay with that. It's kind of beautiful in some sense because it's it's the lunch lady, uh, Edith, Edith, who, uh, who, you know, she creates the poison of the leftovers. Right. And mm. that's what sort of gave him his powers and the love of Krupp and Edith. It's so magical. Yeah. Yeah. Symbolism like, there. Also, when he, like, first turns into Captain Underpants and he crashes out out of the window. and But he, like, he gets hit by cars. That's very human. Um, you could get killed by doing that. But, like, the, the slow progression of seeing Underpants and, like, now he has... Uh, unlimited, unlimited underwear. Underwear. I'm like, okay, we'll go with that too. That's a superpower. Yeah, that but is you don't... like all these powers that he develops, but you're okay with. And you never, you never dealt the logic of that of because his name is Captain Underpants, so of course he's going to have unlimited underpants to fling at people. Mm-hmm. But you never question really the logic of the universe that was creative, and that was <clears throat> that was actually. On purpose. Um, the creative artist wanted to avoid rigid rules of the real world and step inside a more cartoony universe, and they found it very liberating. You know, it's all of our sets were designed um, free of hardcore logic. Mm-hmm. Explains the film's visually development, Christopher Zyback. We always try to find the funniest joke for any given object or circumstance, and the goal is to find out what makes a prop funny or childish. Of course... The audience still needs to recognize what that object is. So a water gun should like like look like a water gun, mm-hmm. but it could it could escape those bounds of logic because it's not going to be just shooting water or doing whatever. And that's again that's another I think point for this movie is that it makes the recognizable but breaks all logic boundaries for what it can do because it's a cartoon. Well, with, with Captain Underpants. <clears throat> Two, uh, what what I, what I enjoyed 
and why I think this is the right time for it to come out is, um, you know, you could have wondered what it would have looked like back then. But now we have so many superhero movies. And so just even the notion that these kids, the reason why they did this, well, uh, you know, all these superheroes look like they're wearing underpants. So we made a superhero named Captain Underpants because he's wearing underpants. Yeah. And that's a superpower. So it, it, it makes light of the superhero genre, which is so heavy-handed in this day and age. Right. And for me, that's also part of the fun that I had with it because I'm like, yeah, they 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 do look stu- like Superman. Half Where's, the time looks like just come on, wearing underwear. Come on, on the outside. They, they even made a joke. Robin about, from Batman like, and Robin and all that. Come on. Yeah, they, didn't they make a joke about spandex? Or yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so like, I love how they're very self-aware of you know the humor that they're playing off of. But also, if you think about it, with all the super movies that are coming out, they're really geared for the teenager adult people to enjoy. And I felt like this is a character for the kids. The actual kids could enjoy the superhero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, it was, and to me, again, it had heart to it, mm-hmm. um, which makes this the, it's the most important aspect uh, of this movie, because without it, then it is just a, it's a gratuitous potty humor animated movie that was just made for adults to shut their kids up. Um, and just take them to the for like, an hour and a half. Yeah, for an hour and a half, and it's like this is the movie. This is the kids' movie that's out. They've they've been barraged by advertising. I got to take them to it, but by by giving it its heart and soul, it, it it makes it enjoyable for everybody. A parent doesn't have to sit through this and go, oh, good god, <laughs> you know. I saw that like for I saw a trailer on this for the My Little Pony movie. I was like, oh, I'm passing on that one. I'm just <laughs> saying right now. I would actually see that one. I'm going to pass. Um, I, 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 I think I will pass on My Little I, Pony, I too. I may I would not see be it. at My Little Pony. I watched this. it. I surprisingly so, watched that a lot in college. But, well, <laughs> I digress. But I'm just, again, that seems to be a movie that, mm-hmm. well, parents are going to have to be very leery taking their kids to, but also one that they're going to be dragged to. Where I don't think like the, they had to go. Like they had to go. But this one, I think the parents, <laughs> it's like you said, I noticed a lot of parents enjoying themselves watching this movie too. Yeah. Um, this is a fun question that leads into the next thing, uh, which is Nick Kroll. But um, do you think there were any parents in the audience uh, questioning their decision to name their kids a certain name? Maybe. Maybe. There's definitely some people in the world that I'm like, oh, you poor prick. I can't believe your parents named you that. Yeah. And with uh, with Professor PP Diarrhea Steam Poopy Pants, (laughs) you know, you definitely have to rethink some certain choices. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Nick Kroll, uh, I most likely know him from uh, from The League, which I thought was a fantastic TV series, but he's also in Little Fockers, Parks and Rec, and uh, another another um, anime movie uh, done for the cheap, uh, Sausage Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, again, to, to, to what you guys are speaking, I didn't really realize that was Nick Kroll. Like, I'm familiar with his voice. Um, it sounded familiar enough, but... Um, I wasn't aware that uh, Professor Poof Pants was Nick Kroll. Yeah. But I enjoyed him a lot. He had that great kind of Germanic, oh, yes, did no, he, I'm not an evil doctor. He got the, like, mad scientist. Did he sort of kind of remind you of uh, Burger Meister Meister Burger? Uh, Kids, mm-hmm. no more toys. <laughs> you know? And I was, like, going... It's like, no more laughter. I hate the kids and the laughter. 
Yeah, I, uh, your name I can is see Spoopy that. Pants? That's funny. And I'm like, yeah, that is that's freaking hysterical. And what was what I enjoyed about him and the way the movie played was the fact that yes, his name is funny and it's unfortunate, <laughs> but the fact that he's just got to have a humor about it, and, and so they humanized him. So I, I could empathize with him, even though he was the villain. And then they switched it where it's like just have a humor about yourself, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's it. We'll be good. Um, I, I liked the look of him because <laughs> the look was great. He, he was super short, so he doesn't like physically doesn't look you know menacing, right? Um, and you wouldn't really think that he's the evil person. I did like his glasses too because they reminded me of, like an old woman glasses. <laughs> And so he's just like the physicality of him. You can't really take him seriously. Right. Especially his face. And when you see him from the back, like, they almost give him, like, this Einstein-ish yeah. kind of appearance. Crazy hair. <laughs> the crazy hair. And then it just, with the way he characterized him or gave that character life was hysterical itself. It was a very funny caricature. The The accent was right on the money. Um, and, you know, he was awesome. I hate laughter. He goes, you're laughing. And what was his name? Did he write? No. What what, what did he call himself? Like Professor when he P. Wrote, Professor P. P. Right. Uh, and f- what I also enjoyed was um, the notion that, yes, he was this evil villain. And he was going to go out and sort of <laughs> do this. And yet what really brought his pa- superpowers out was the fact that they... That, it, it became self-inflicting, right? They they tried to combat him through the use of these comics by outing him as as Captain Poopy Pants or uh, Professor Poopy Pants, and uh, that's what drove the idea to him, and to have a sidekick named Melvin and so forth. So, uh, you know, it, it became a self-actualized right. prophecy. All right. What I thought was interesting is that because they spent the first half an hour, and granted this is a short film, they spent the, <laughs> they spent the first like 20, 30 minutes like establishing Mr. Krupp as the bad guy. And then once Poopy Pants actually came into the movie, I'm like, who's this dude? Right. I was and then yeah. like the, it completely shifted to, all right, so who's the bad villain and like who's the antagonist? And then suddenly <clears throat> you realize, you know, oh, it's Captain Underpants. He, he's the hero, so he has, who's his nemesis? It has to be Poopy Pants. Right. How many times can we say his name? Poopy Pants! Poopy Pants! But so I was just more so surprised that they introduced him like so late in a movie for him to be the antagonist. Yeah. When they already spent so much time building another antagonist right. of Krupp. They did change his name from the comics from PP PP Poopy Pants to PP Diarrhea Steam Poopy Pants. Yeah. So slight alteration there. Seriously, the adults were laughing so hard. It's hard not again. It's hard not to laugh at that kind of immature, innocent, innocent silliness. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's what at its core, that's what it is. It's just innocent. They're words. They're silly words that when you put together pee pee diarrhea poopy pants, that's funny, and it's still funny. It's still funny for me, and it's the way that they're put together when it's said in that accent makes it funnier. Diarrhea Steven. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's like he said his name I so guess. seriously. They're like, "What? That's your real name?" <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's your real name? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I certainly hope uh, kids didn't get and uh, don't take away the science lesson of it all because, as we learned through Melvin, 
He has no Lafa Simfa Waka Laka Mulis. The enigmatic part of the brain that appreciates humor. <laughs> the Huffa Huffa Guffa Waka Chuckle Mulis. I can't even. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, yes. <laughs> but that's awesome. Um, but what is it? You know, I, I like Melvin because he represented, as much as they're an adult nemesis to, to Harold and George. Uh, Melvin just represented not a nemesis, but almost just this annoying fly that they just couldn't squash. And then he comes back in in this unique way. Yeah, he's always that. There's always the, the annoying character that like you just have to get rid of every once in a while. But mm-hmm. it's like let's avoid this person. Um, they're, they're, uh, that's a running trope. But also, Melvin represented like what Harold and and uh, what's the other George. guy? George. George. Harold and George like. What they could have been if they didn't have humor, right? You know, it, um, you, you had that foil of someone that also that age because right now they're they're you know battling quote unquote um, they're like going up against adults that they're as the antagonist, but also having a kid of their own age also as an antagonist. Yeah, and you also like when you're when doing a comedy or doing a humor movie such as this, he's the he's the humorless character. That doesn't get anything, and he's the he's he's the guy you love to hate in the adult comedy movies. Like Back to School has that British um, professor uh, that that uh, is the yeah. nemesis, right? It's but he's the humorless British guy mm-hmm. that Rodney, who's all about humor, um, he goes against. And that's like when you have a character where the humor is blatantly obvious, like Uranus, and he's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like that was his thing. I don't get it. It's yeah. like, but that's funny, <laughs> and you know, but, you make fun of that. But you also have the character that you know that everyone hates. That like they're the stuck-up brown-nosed yes. person yes. who loves extra credit, who literally the teacher's pet, and do all everything. And like, like the 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 in, in, you know insufferable kind of people that you just yeah. that you recognize in schools and sure. in your class. There's always that one person like, oh god, it's them. Yeah. You know? Well, that was that was Melvin. As as much as I made fun of the science of it, um, what I did appreciate through Melvin, and it, it's a smaller thing, and I'm not sure if many people would notice it or if this was even intended. But what I enjoyed was um, the notion through George and Harold that the the laugh part of the brain could actually grow and develop. And so when I look at Melvin, I feel like Melvin's parents uh, just. You know, they had this funny inherent thing, but then when they had Melvin, they lost it over time, and then they've restricted Melvin in a lot of ways. And I guess the lesson there is, as a parent, you sort of take it away, like, you know, continue to work your laugh muscle. Sure. You know, you don't have to be a comedian, but but, but just enjoy laughter nonetheless and and, uh, spread it to kids. And, you know, I think there's... Uh, you know, in in the best of worlds that I imagine, at least perhaps, uh, you you know, Melvin could still be the extra credit go out serious type of person, but still be able to laugh at Uranus. Yeah. Well, and and I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll take it a step further. Isn't it because of the laughter that these that the, these two best buds have, right? It it. But that's what also is their creative flow. You know, that's what helps them create their 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 artistry. That's what makes them make funny things on a page because it's funny to the both of them. That's what how they make that's how they come up with the story of Cap the origin of Captain Underpants. Right. It's because of having that 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 laughter um that laughter muscle as you call it. So 
you're right. There could be, and I think when the as as the kids go as, as the two friends go through the movie, they 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 learn to develop that they have this laughter muscle, but it can be used. It can be good. Where Melvin, you hope that that laughter muscle, you know, he can he can he can use it for good as well, and he doesn't have to just be. Well, the, according to psychology, by the age of seven, your brain develops, and if you, yeah, at that point, if he doesn't have it, he ain't gonna ever have it. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, but um, that's that's uh, real <laughs> science thrown into a completely uh, illogical world. Well, the, at the age of seven, the personality definitely develops yeah. at that age. Um, so another uh, speaking of people that we didn't recognize, Jordan Peele did the voice of Melvin yeah. and. I'd have to really go back and notice the traits of his voice to Melvin. Because Melvin plays like a character. I'm like, nope, Jordan Peele, you are lying to me. You did not play him. <laughs> Which yeah. is also you know, really ironic because Jordan Peele, his characters that he portrays and stuff, it is comedy, but they're likable comedy. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't expect him as an actor to play such a dislikable character. Right. But he did it with a great comedic flair. Absolutely. You can't say Absolutely. that because he is a comic foil. And again, to your point, Phil... There wasn't a time where I said it wasn't until like the end credits. I was like, Jordan Peele, like come on, like I I don't know any of these people, but I know all of these people <laughs> when I say for the credits. And again, that's genius of the movie and of the voice acting because I didn't take myself out of the movie to try to figure out who the hell it was. I really bought into the character of Marvin, and good for Jordan Peele. I mean, he's he's having quite the year already with Get Out and such and you know and now being part of Captain Underpants and and Melvin did a great job and uh, the last person we should definitely touch upon is Edith Uh, good old Edith she really uh, realizes Captain Underpants powers um, played by Kristen Schaal Um, and I mean she's known in this universe she's done Toy Story 3 um, Shrek Forever After Gravity Falls, so she's uh, she's known in this world, and um, I thought I thought she she did a fantastic job as as the shy lunch lady. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's hysterical, and she tends to play the same comedic characters in everything she does, whether it be like real life um, comedies or animation. She's actually really big in the animation world. Yeah. Um, for her voice, she's done big movies. Um, I actually didn't really recognize her because usually she has that. She has a very distinct voice that you yes. can recognize that as her own. But I think she did a great job as Edith, and I felt for Edith too. And like, to to be the the love interest for Krupp, I was like, aww. Yeah, yeah. They're a perfect match. I really liked, you know, when she made the uh, what is that the the tuna casserole with jalapeno. <laughs> yeah, jalapenos. Spelled his name. That, that, that was great. Um, now, there was one character that I found to be very interesting because the character seemed to have been a character from another movie, and that was another one of the teachers. Um, reminded me of one of the t- uh, one of the characters from Monsters University. A oh, monster- my God. I thought so, too. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, oh, shoot. And was it Miss, Miss Ribble? Miss Ribble. I think maybe was the character because uh, she had the glasses yeah, and the she gla- talked Yeah, she, like she was a Edna. Next, please. Edna. Edna. Yeah. Edna. Yeah, I totally thought the same thing. Okay, yeah. And yeah. I was like, she just come from there. But, again, there wasn't a main character in it. Um, and it's good to give Mr. Krupp his soft edges when he comes into school and he's like, la, 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 you know, it was, it was great. It was, 
And again, it's it's one of the strengths, I think, of this movie, is it doesn't take its characters for granted or its theme and or message no. to kids. So sometimes it's lost. Like, I can't tell you, uh, I can't tell you what the message is to, to Secret Life of Pets. Oh, because there know? was no message. Don't leave your pets at home? <laughs> I don't know. Um, speaking of message, uh, you know, Soren, David Soren, who directed it, we talked about the bond between him and the writer, um, but part of where it comes from that we didn't touch upon is, um, as he says, it was 20 years ago, I had just moved to Los Angeles, and I discovered the first Captain Underpants book at a bookstore. I picked it up and read half of it right right there in the aisle. Um, years later, once I had kids of my own, we read it again together, then the next book, and then until we right. devoured the entire series. So uh, he's obviously versed in this universe, and so when we talk about the heart of it all um, and everything like that, he obviously he knows the history of it, so he's not right. um, just going blindly into it, um, which shows you know, on all the various ways that we're talking about. And, you know, he's a DreamWorks veteran. He did uh, Madagascar. Um, the Turbo. So he's he's been within the, the DreamWorks stable, so to speak. He understands animation. Um, but again, I will take, you know, looking at Madagascar and even Turbo, when you look at this movie, creatively, it's different. It's a different... It looks different. It's set apart from those movies, I think. Well, so let's talk about this. So um, this kind of, this opens it up, and then we'll sort of backtrack into the full aspects of it. But but the greater discussion is in, in 20... 2015, uh, let me just look up uh, the then CEO's name. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg um, wanted to move, he wanted to lower production costs. And so he devised a corporate restructure that reduced the studio's headcount by roughly 500, slashing its feature slate to two films per year and outsourcing work, um, in particular on Captain Underpants, so that uh, it could be produced at a much significant uh, lower cost. And so um, it went out to a Canadian company um, to be actually made rather than um, in-house. And, you know, the budget for this... uh, as as I understand it to be, um, this is the not include promotion, but thirty eight million. Right. Um, and we talked about a low production budget for Sausage Party, which, as I recall, was about sixty million. Um, and so, there's a lot of articles that I've read of. Okay, what what will this have effect on in terms of um, animation production budgets? Um, you know, uh, Pixar movies we know can go in, well into the two hundred million. Uh, even a couple of DreamWorks movies from the past, you know, let's get, give or take 130 million. Um, so to go from 130 down to basically 40, it's a huge leap. Huge leap. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, <clears throat> since Dimitri, you want to open up uh, this argument, I'll um, I'll let you speak to it and then Marissa. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it really helped them be a little bit more creative, and it sort of kind of sets apart the way that this movie looks. You're correct, like. DreamWorks took an unusual step of animating the feature in partnership with an outside studio called Mikros Image Studio. Now, I'm not sure if they're Greek, but um, Mikros, M-I-K-R-O-S, it means small. So I don't know if it's small image studio, if you're going to, you know, break that up. Coincidental. So, but part of the reason was, is that at the time, DreamWorks was already deep into production on both Trolls and Boss Baby, and they would have had to have delayed this film start by a few years, a few years, and they wanted to try to make this slate. Um, 
So hence they had to go to another. They had to partner up with somebody else who understood the animations of it all and, and or the animation and and to make it look decent. Um, so I find that to be very interesting that they really stayed within a schedule. They got within a budget. I mean, they were like, we don't want to wait a few years. So for whatever reason, they felt that the the iron was hot to try to get this movie out now. Part of it could have been because it's the 20th anniversary. Now, they haven't I, made too much of that. They haven't made too yeah. much of that. And I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, maybe they just felt it doesn't add anything no. to but it. Also, <clears throat> I mean, when it first started, it wasn't the biggest storyline that's out there. True. And the kids or like anyone who followed it, the story, it's only like 20 years old. The, right. the, I think the demographic that it's geared to, they're not old enough to celebrate and realize how awesome it is to hit a 20th anniversary. Right. You know? That's true. That's true. So, but again, when you're working with that kind of a budget, it shows that you can be creative. It show. I will say this for the movie: it didn't look cheap. Okay, no. meaning there have been some animated movies that have come out that just they sort of kind of look cheap. They they they, they look like they were made back when to- the original Toy Story was made. Mm-hmm. And I'm not disparaging the original Toy Story. I'm just saying that the evolution of animation has come so 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 far it looks more like something you would have released on home video this movie didn't have that quality to it and i think because of their creativeness and being able to utilize different forms of animation whether it be sock puppetry flipbook or hand-drawn comic book animation i think it lends to the uniqueness of this movie and to me it sets it apart too now if it didn't have the story to go along with it then you might say it looks a little cheap but in this case, um, not so. And I think that it can prove that you can make, with the right creative people, the right story, good good screen story, you can make a good movie, a good animated movie, without without hitting a Pixar budget. And again, I'm not dissing Pixar. I don't want to come across that way. But if you are, if you don't have that budget, be a little creative. And there are other firms out there like Micros. Image, uh, image, you know, entertainment that could help you along and, and, and come up with a good movie. Yeah, Marissa, you absolutely love animation, so I want to definitely get your perspective. I do on love this. animation. Um, I love the fact that they, you know, outsource because you usually don't get that with DreamWorks. Um, I mean, they a lot of times they partner up with other companies and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's usually in you know in home in America in you know Glendale, or, right? Or, you know, uh, like actually stateside when they're working on it. Um, but, like, I appreciate now knowing this fact. It, like, yeah, it looks different. It doesn't have the, oh, my God, like, a thousand fur hairs, you know, <laughs> on, like, a character. Um, like, But that didn't, that didn't deter from the story or the actual animation to the point where, like, it looks so bad it's not enjoyable. Right. And I like the fact that the animation, there were different styles. And it, it like, constantly kept you invested in the film and you, you, to see the different styles. And even the, the 2D that's is slowly dying that like no one really sees anymore because right. everything is right. you know 3d animated um i thought that was great to see again in this film yeah um i didn't mind the animation i thought it was you know really well done especially for being as a smaller budget and we we know that sometimes you can like produce something amazing with just a small amount of people right and a small amount of budget that forces you to be more creative and think outside the box with with so little resources, and I think they did a good job in this film. 
Yeah, and they made it. I mean, there was a purpose and there was a purposeful intent in making this look cartoony. Yeah. So, and I think that lends to it. So, when the creators go, "Look, this isn't the real world. We want to play around with the logic. We're not. We're not bound to those rules." So, that helps lend to the story. Yeah. So, even the characters themselves, they don't have to be fully rendered. I bought the characters as they are because they were good characters. I liked the way that they looked and they were voiced perfectly. Yeah, I mean, and if you think about it, like <clears throat> Pixar spends so Pixar, Disney, whatever. Um, they spend so much time on actual details and proportions, and you see all these kids. They're they are so out of proportion for being like a regular oh human body. Like their foreheads are basically their whole body. So but, right. So when you don't put that much detail into the animation, you just play like these are cartoon characters, and they are of, of course from the actual you know well, content in the books. Like you can. You can get away with that, right. and I think that helps with their budget as well. Yeah, I mean, we certainly don't need um, a thousand thread count on Captain Underpants's underpants. Exactly, no. exactly. No. We just Not need to know they're white, and they got a couple of uh, straps and jocks, and we're good to go. Yeah, and I think like because they didn't have to spend that much time on all those fine details, mm-hmm. I think that helps with their financial budget as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give you an idea as well, because this was uh, the Peanuts movie, I believe, was also released by Fox. That production budget and blue sky. That production budget was ninety nine million. You know, and we're not. That movie looked really good. It's great. But this this movie maybe didn't look as good as the Peanuts movie, but it still utilized various forms of animation. And from within the confines of this particular movie, Captain Underpants, it was fine. You know, to work off of the thirty eight million dollar budget, that's um, pretty solid. And and. For all intents and purposes, it looks like it'll at the very least break even, probably make even more. You know, so it'll bring in a profit. And what uh, obviously the challenge there was to figure out a working relationship um, between them so they could all collaborate. Um, those that were in Glendale and those that were um, offsite, and Mikros doing this, and so a lot of storyboards uh, were used uh, throughout the whole process and a lot of video conferencing between the two studios so that way um, you know David Soren uh, he was located here and, and he was able to still manage it um, from here without having to go there and it's just always fascinating like I'm just always amazed with the amount of uh, collaborative tools and, and how sure. uh, you know you can work globally and, and get the best talent uh-huh. and you don't have to localize it and, and and to go back to budgeting and, and, and quoting David Soren, we wanted the comic book sequences in the movie to be hand-drawn, our version of what a couple of fourth graders would draw. That meant limiting our tools to better resemble those used by a child, using a cruder, limited animation style colored with markers or pencil crayons, all composited in a simple way that could have been taught in Animation 101 class. So the idea was to start with the comic book sequence using primarily still imagery, and the deeper we go into the actual adventures within the comics, the more immersive and graphic we get. So it was a stylized type of 2D animation. It was also used for the sequence of Professor Poopy Pants trying to get rid of the boys. Um, their huffle, their huffaguffa, like a chuckalamus. Um, so, and again, it was it was all there, but but going back to crayons. <laughs> You know, it, it, but but it lent to this story being that these kids were imaginative and artistic, and they drew with crayons. That's what they were drawing their comics with. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, <clears throat> so definitely, um, 
I mean, um, definitely a lot of fun stories throughout uh, throughout making this. Um, one of the first tests, as I understand it, um, uh, shoot, I just lost my place. Um, oh, okay. okay. Uh, the character's designer um, recalls the very first two animation tests he put together for the project. The first was Principal Krupp turning into Alter Ego Captain Underpants. The second uh, one involved Professor Poopy Fants uh, turned out to be uh, a revelation. So, um, so both you know, in, in terms of that, if you're going to do any sort of test, like if you can't get Captain Underpants correct, right. probably not going to work as much. Although you could argue that uh, Harold and George obviously could be lumped into a test of, of some sorts. But um, they were able to do. It's just I'm I'm truly amazed what they were able to do. And um, it wasn't until I got down to the research and saw the actual articles about this topic. Um, that I never questioned it. Oh, what's its budget? Does it look cheap? How by how much cheaper is it, and so forth? And um, it's to me, it's a fascinating topic in hindsight because you know mm-hmm. I never not once did I notice it. Yeah, same here. And another another very interesting thing about this one of their biggest animated challenges was again I'm going to throw back to Peanuts because it was very similar was the hair delivering uh, Harold's hair in, in particular. And if you remember when we talked about Peanuts, one of the biggest challenges they had was getting Charlie Brown's Charlie squiggle Brown's <laughs> and making it look good. Where are they going? To, where does it go on his head? Well, they had the same thing here. And we needed to bring the looseness and cartoony feel that hair has in the original illustration. And it's told them it, it, it took a long time to do, and the design team knew from the beginning that they had to come up with a new, unique, creative way to deliver characters' hair in the movie. And again, I didn't need every character. I didn't need the characters to have a million follicles of mm-hmm. hair, right? The way that it looked here, um, you know, it, it still moved and, and it fit the characters. There was I liked when uh, they showed them younger and their hair was a lot poofier. Oh, yeah, the fro was hysterical. <laughs> it was and like hysterical. even later, that set up for a joke like I can't believe my fro back then. I know. Like, that was neither great. could I. Yeah, I mean, but that was very funny. And um, you know, it's a hair joke. It <laughs> so, is. It was good. Um, and you know, uh, one of the things this is more of a story slash editing thing, but I enjoyed how it broke the fourth wall a lot. Um, because when you, you know, uh, you could somewhat liken that to Deadpool. Sure. You know, where, because I, I really do think there's a smart element to this where it's, it's a counterpoint to the superhero culture, which that's what Deadpool was. That's why it worked the way it did is because we've had Agreed. so many superhero movies and he's, he's able to talk to the audience, uh, directly and make fun of that trope. And in, in some sense, now this is to the ultimate level. Right. And I, in fact, I would love if Deadpool made, a Captain Underpants joke of some kind. Right. Hmm, that'd be interesting. Also, you do have to remember this is a kid's film, and things sometimes have to be spoon-fed to the kids. Like, especially when you're setting up a story, we got a lot of the fourth wall being broken in the in the first five, ten minutes. Sure. Because you're explaining, you're literally explaining to kids what's happening. And I think that's where it actually works in the storytelling. I think it works from an adult perspective as well. Because when you're going into a kid's movie, you're not necessarily expecting that, right? So, you know, a kid a kid who may have been brought up reading the book, he's going to understand. Um, the adult, however, may not... Like, once that's explained to you and that fourth wall is broken, you are able to... You're more willing to accept the humor that's about to be thrown at you 
as well. Because you actually get a sense of personality from these kids when they're talking to you. And I really, I actually appreciated that aspect. And to me, it was actually seamless. It didn't, it, it, like, it was not gratuitous. It didn't, some, some people will complain that breaking that fourth wall breaks a pace of a movie or takes a person out of a movie. Not in this movie at all. It seemed very organic. But also, there was a moment when they did break the fourth wall, and they explained the flip around. I was like, we can't show this because <laughs> yes. it's too graphic, but it still moved the story forward. It didn't break the story. It nope. literally got you from point A to point B. And I think that's it worked. It was very effective in helping like progress the story. And it was very funny. And it to, was. I mean, here's the, the reason why it was funny for me was by the notion that, that we get, uh, like, for example, uh, we just did Wonder Woman, uh, so check that out if you've seen that. Uh but I would argue that that the final villain scene in that is just so long, and this is this is a trope of most movies where I'm just like, okay, uh, I can zone out for a couple of minutes here. Mm-hmm. So they condensed that they did. and got to the ending. I'm like, thank you, thank you. Otherwise, I'd have to watch yeah. that. Just it's great. We're good. And also, it's also more believable because of all the things that they did within the yes. story. It's like, and we got attacked by dolphins, and then we swung from this, and we're like, yeah, yeah, that works in a fliperama, totally. Yeah, and and again, it was explained to us. Mm-hmm. Dolphins again. Just be quiet. I like dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so shifting gears, I want to talk about the uh, the music um, for this. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic, uh, he he makes an appearance in the comic or the series, the books, whatever you want to call them. Uh, in the as I understand it, in the PA system, they play Weird Al. Weird Al Yankovic. And so in this movie, they have they utilize Weird Al quite a bit. And Weird Al is great. Um, He's actually been here to the studios. He's like the nicest guy ever. He Um, is a very nice guy. uh, The the credit song, you can clearly tell it was him. Also very enjoyable. Still felt the tone of the movie, you know, ridiculous. Because this movie is one long joke. And I think that's what Weird Al Yankovic does in all of his films. He's known for parodying songs and having ridiculous humor in his songs. And he does it well. And I think it totally fits with this film. Um, I also love the, the composer, Theodore Shapiro. He's an amazing composer. Sure. There was a moment in this movie where uh, it was just like instrumental. And I was like, that that riff literally sounds like Theodore Shapiro, and sure enough, it was him. Yeah. Um, I actually have a lot of film composed scores um, from film soundtracks that are Theodore Shapiro. Yeah, I mean, you know, the guy did uh, um, Tropic Thunder, he did Ghostbusters, Spy, Trumbo. You know, he's done... A lot. Devil Wears Prada, stuff. The Intern. Yeah. Um, he also did Collateral Beauty just recently. So, like, yeah, I'm a big and, fan of Shapiro. And co-writing some of the original songs in the soundtrack, including Captain Underpants, where he shares credit with Al Yankovic. Al Yankovic. You know, I mean, number one, it went from Weird Al Yankovic to Cold War Kids. Um, Andy Grammer, who I, I'm not familiar with who Andy Grammer is. Um but you had, you know, it was hip. It could be cool. You had a little bit of alt rock in there. You had a little bit of score in there. And you had, you know, Weird Al. And I, I feel like, the, and we also had, I mean, Weird Al appears to the adults and then Theodore Shapiro appeals to everybody. But we also had Adam Lambert did. Doing Think. Uh, yeah, yeah, did Think and, you know, Hallelujah, I believe. But Adam Lambert, the, he he spans the teenage to young sure. adult demographic, and he's super nice too in yeah. real life. I met him. Yeah, cool. He's really nice. Well, nothing beats the Tchaikovsky Overture. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, goodness. I come on, that's the greatest song I've ever heard in a movie. Because that appeals to you know whether you're a kid or not, you you you've, you've sort of heard that overture. I mean, right. it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's classic, and uh, and to see it done with whoopee cushions right. and armpit farts, <laughs> and then a real fart at the end, unexpectedly by quite an innocent uh, and funny girl. Yes. Right. Yeah. Seriously, and that was like a real fart. Um, the adults were rolling, rolling, rolling. And again, whoopee cushion was one of the. Funniest, the most simplest, cheapest gags that you can do, just because it made that sound, you know, it's still and, funny and it still works today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> all right, it's so, a great scene in the movie. Very funny scene. I think I think a, a scene that will live in film history for sure. <laughs> uh, so let's talk. Let's talk numbers. We did, we talked about how much it cost, but let's talk about how much it made. Um, Expected to originally make around twenty million, uh, it it went on in its opening weekend to make uh, almost twenty four million. Yeah, twenty three point so, eight. So Pretty it beat good. out its projection, which is uh, which is great to see. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's also kind of programming to Wonder Woman. Sure, well, and I mean, you, to most. I mean, like I don't think we're going to see it to you, as you opened up, Dimitri. You're not going to see a movie like this the entire summer. No, no, yeah. no you're not. You, you really aren't. Uh, if in fact. The rest of the year. Like, this is literally one of the silliest movies I've seen in a while. And I think, at least for me, that's what made this movie a breath of fresh air. When we said that we had to, when we were going to do this movie, I was like, I didn't really even, I was like, what the hell is this Captain Underpants? I knew so little about this. And I'm like, I ha- okay, I'm going to do Wonder Woman, and then i got to watch an animated superhero movie. I go, I've seen so many superhero. I mean, granted, it's Captain Underpants. But then once I got into the theater and things started rolling, I was like going, wow, this is really funny. And it, it was just innocence silly. There hasn't been a movie like it. It revels in it. And again, third, you know, doing 20, almost 24 million thus far domestically, 32 million thus far. Um, with foreign, uh, it's 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 worldwide gross is thirty three million, and as we talked about its budget, I mean as it goes on, it's it's up until Cars Three I know comes out later on this month. Um, I don't exactly know the date. Like two weeks, three. Is weeks? it two weeks? So it's, I I could be wrong. It, it has at the very least, let's say, two weeks of no animation competition coming up, yeah. right? Which is good for this movie. Um, it, it should hold up. I mean, w- we talk about it, it's uh, it's an eighty six percent on Cinema Score. Right, I'm sorry, Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes. Tomatoes B plus on Cinema Score, and I'm just wondering who are they who are they polling? Because they if you're, can they poll kids? I don't know. I I, uh, maybe the kid doesn't know how to tear the thing. I don't know. Fill out the ballot. The kids that I saw it with. They were just laughing up a, they were laughing up a storm, so they loved it. So, but even if the parents give an animated movie a B plus like this, okay, you know that's not too bad. No. We here, we're 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 adults. May and I may act like a twelve year old, but I pretend to be an adult. I play one on a podcast, so we all enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a safe movie to take kids too if they're not exactly old enough to go to Wonder Woman you know and you need that family picture I think it's a safe movie 
to, it's very to good. go. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, uh, as Rotten Tomatoes says, with a tidy plot, clean animation, and humor that fits its source material snugly, Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, is entertainment that won't drive a wedge between family members. <laughs> wedge or wedgie? It says wedge, but... <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, because I think that is a running trope with uh, animation films. Like, there's always a family conflict of some some sort. Absolutely. And this really wasn't there, about a family. It was no. about a friendship. No, it was about a friendship. Oh, it's runtime is wonderful, too. Yes. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> the pacing of this movie was really good. <laughs> I mean, you are in and out. There was no short before it. Um, you know, I had to endure a lot of trailers, but... This movie begins, there's a middle, and it's in. It's over. Fun. Bye. See you later. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Never overstate its welcome at no, all. No, not at all. And uh, it left on a great cliffhanger of yes. where we're going. Um, and by the way, did you guys catch the stinger as well? Which one? All right. Yeah, so yeah, let me tell you about the stinger. Tell me about the stinger. Um, the secretary is still on the phone. Yes. Uh. And uh, then they find out, so then they uh, st- they close it, and she gets angry. <laughs> so she's going to be a villain, perhaps. Villain, perhaps. Uh, so we've got twelve books to draw from. Um, I think. Ha! Get it? Draw. <laughs> <laughs> So Pardon the pun. It wasn't even going there. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, you've got you've got plenty of source material to go through. You can certainly create new new things and. Uh, I think the demand will be there. I hope. Yeah. And the following's there, too, because I feel like the kids who enjoyed this 20, 10 years ago, you know, um, will enjoy it in a few more years. And if anything, too, um, now that at least that I'm aware that this was books, maybe the kids in the audience, if they weren't aware, perhaps they're aware now and, you know, it'll it'll fuel that. It'll perpetuate more fandom for kids. And show that the you know show parents that this is actually just innocent fun. You know, fart gags can be funny, and they're innocent, and it's what kids do. To, to today, I've always loved the fart joke. Watching a movie like Blazing Saddles, as young as I was, okay, I might not have gotten all of the adult humor in that movie. But the one scene that I did love was the scene around the campfire after eating a ton of beans. <laughs> and they're all farting. Mel Brooks made fart humor in art form for me. And it can transcend. Like I said, a lot of animated movies, they just put it in there now just because the philosophy is farts are funny. Sometimes, but other times it's just, ugh, you're just doing it. For the cheap laugh for the kids. This was far above and beyond that, I felt. So there you go. I I think we can safely say uh, we all enjoyed this movie. Um, A ton of fun. Um, As we wrap out today, where can the people um, follow you, Dimitri? Uh, Please support me on the Twitter, uh, at DMovies1701. And Marissa? And you can follow me on Twitter at TV. And follow us here at, uh, at Movie Anatomy and, of course, um, on Popcorn Talk. Uh, speaking of, we, we made mention of um, uh, Boss Baby. We, we did that one as well. We did Secret Life of Pets. We did Zootopia. So we've done a lot of animated movies. So if that's your, uh, your stick, <clears> we've definitely done a lot of them. A lot of Pixar movies, a lot of DreamWorks movies, Kung Fu Panda 3, sure. and so forth. So uh, definitely check out our past shows. 
um, and also other shows that we've done. I'm just going to go out on a limb, speaking of animated movies. No, we're not doing the... My Little Pony. <laughs> Darn it. No, I'm going to be out on that one, but uh, we there, there, there's this Cars 3 movie that uh, we may do. We'll do right? that. We might, I'm just going out on a limb. It has to be better than Cars 2. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> so definitely, uh, so with Cars 3, that's something to look forward to. Um, and we've got plenty of other movies as well. Next week, we've got The Mummy. We've got a lot of great stuff in the, in the pipeline, so definitely uh, keep checking back in. If there's anything that we didn't talk about, please write in the comments section. We love discussing the, the various aspects of story or production, whatever you guys want, ultimately, um, in the comments section. And, uh, you know, you don't have to watch us every single week. But if you do see a movie, check back in with us. Absolutely. Chances are we've, uh, we've covered it, so... And you know what? Tell a friend if they've they've seen a movie. Uh, let them know that we're here. Uh, thank you guys Please. as always. Uh, we'll enjoy Tra-la-la. another movie. With- Tra-la-la. Yeah. Tra-la-la. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>